Hello. Yeah, I sort of logged in a while ago because I was worried about getting in and stuff. So I've been just hanging out and I just had a screen and stuff like that. And nothing happened. So I guess I I don't know if I did something wrong or whatever, but tried again and it worked fine. So, hey, there you go. Awesome. You sound great. You look great. Um, so with TalkShoe, uh, I don't know if Paul sent you his typical this is what it is like thing with TalkShoe. But when we do next week, what happens is I come in at nine o'clock. TalkShoe, when I start, when I jump into the studio, it starts recording in about five seconds. There, so there's really no warm up. Hey, five, four, three, two, one. It's really, it's go time. Okay. So just like tonight, I'll let you into a, you'll be in a waiting room and I'll let you in. Okay. And then odds are Paul will do your introduction and then we can just talk. Okay. Uh, you are, I, I tell people, I told someone this this week, I was talking about PowerPoint. I was showing someone a PowerPoint. I said, well, you have this style of PowerPoint, which is, you know, all sorts of stuff on your thing, but PowerPoint really is just a tool. And I said, I know someone, Pat Wagner, who, in fact, I'm interviewing her in a week. Uh, and she is the one person I truly know that can stand in front of a room with 200 people with a flip chart, a marker, and completely have their attention and get everything across. And it's like you don't necessarily need the electronic tool. You are the right. presentation. Right. So uh, that's the spirit. I want you to tell your story. Um, okay. I, know, I know you and your husband are not trying, you're, since you're closing down your business. I don't need I don't need you to promote yourself. You self promote. Your your work promotes itself. Well, that's sweet. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's we, true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's very sweet. Well, how how long? Just a couple of logistics, so I know. And by the sure. way, I don't know. You know, we've talked over the years about different things, but mm -hmm. I didn't know if you knew that I had. Um, I spent some time in radio. Was a radio talk show host, and I awesome. also have a degree in theater. Hey, hang on one second, Pat. Sure. I'm doing a tech check with someone for about thirty minutes. Nope. Okay. <laughs> that's, nope. That's that's <laughs> fine. And, and so, I'm I'm really good at taking direction and um really good at you know back and forth and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. how long how long does this go? I never found out from. It's oh. usually an hour. So we okay. usually talk for an hour, mm -hmm. and then it you it depending on if we feel like it, we talk over an hour. That's so fine. We, we usually end up talking if we get into a really good discussion. We've gone an hour. We've gone anywhere to an hour and fifteen minutes. But by then, usually Paul's stomach is is getting very angry, and he bails. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. So that so we we get it anywhere from there. And then afterwards, we usually have a little bit of an after chat. We talk about mm -hmm. the show. We talk. We say hey to each other. Sort of update ourselves in our lives with things that we don't necessarily need. Every you know, all five people listen to the podcast here. So. You can feel free to stay for it. You're always welcome. And okay. as a guest, I'll say this to you now and I'll say this to uh, you on the show. You're always welcome to come back at any time. So well, you can you. feel free to be a panelist. We, mm -hmm. We've collected people you know, over the life of the show since 2008. It's, I, I always think of it as, like, as really an education commune. You know, I'm almost always there. Jill is almost always there. Paul is almost always there. But we may not all necessarily be there, and people have come and gone, and we've collected people for a few years, mm -hmm. et cetera. So that's very cool. And people drop in and out. So did that's you, my mental model. Did you need any information from me beforehand? Uh, or, you can you can shoot Paul a brief biography of yourself. If I you did. I sent that. him. 
I sent him a sentence. We're done. <laughs> that, okay, that's good. That's perfect, yeah. Pat. And then, really, the I, I know you're you're. We really want to just we want you. To, you're a great storyteller. So tell okay. some stories, mm-hmm. and we'll riff from there. I have no. I I am supremely confident that you could easily fill an hour talking about various important things that people need to know and dropping nuggets everywhere without any prompting. Well, yeah, that's very flattering. Thank soft, you. I'll throw you some softballs too. Paul, will throw you some softballs. So there's also a chat on the side. Excellent. So as you see, there's a participant in chat. Now, up until last week, the chat was recorded. So we're just going to so talk to you as changes interface. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to wait until now to have this thing. It's changes interface. So stuff's on the bottom now. It used to be on the side and everywhere else. So now it's all on the bottom. Okay. Um, last week's show did not, did, it didn't look like it recorded the chat. So we just assume the chat is relatively public. So we'll prompt each other. We'll ask questions in chat. You can follow up, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually people will say stuff. If you're talking and they have a point, they'll throw it in chat. I'll either relay it in, into the podcast or they'll, I'll, I'll prompt them to say it, etc. So okay. it's, it's real. I suggest if you if you drink adult beverages, have an adult beverage handy. Jill usually does, uh, I, and Jill writes our notes. So feel free to. She usually Jill is wonderful. She'll she'll be there and she'll talk, but she's also furiously writing notes for okay. everything. So if you drop something, you say something, she'll find links to it, et cetera, and put it in the show notes. Excellent. That's wonderful having that yep. in the background. Yep. Um, should I? I mean, I and I, I love side chats and stuff. A couple things. First of all, if somebody asks me a question, do you want to then deliver it verbally and I respond to you rather than reading the chat? How do you prefer? Uh, I usually so when in that particular mechanics, say Paul is say you're talking. Mm-hmm. Paul has a question in chat. I'll either if he's muted, I'll say, hey, would you like to ask the question yourself? Or I'll read it into chat. You Terrific. Know, they, they I, I like that. A nod and say yes or no. I like, like yeah, you know, I talk enough. I mean, look, okay. I, I can hear myself talk all the time, but that's not my job. My job is to try to imp- get the guest to talk as much as possible. And I just want to let you know, for the record, I don't mind hardball questions. I think they're kind of fun. Okay. <laughs> you know, so if you come up like, you know, one of those, well, Pat, you know, kind of thing. What's the worst client you've ever worked with and why? That you know something like that. I'm not going to yeah, have. Yeah, and I won't name names, but I have a Good. list. Pat, <laughs> that, that is perfect. That is. Yeah, per- I have a list, is- and just between you and me, off the record, though, mm-hmm. um, because you and I have been doing this for a long time. I have clients who will call me up and say, "We're doing a search for a new director, uh, a new state librarian, a new this or that," mm-hmm. and this person is up do you have anything to say about them? And sometimes I'll say, I don't know them. Sometimes I say they're fantastic. Sometimes I'll say, as God is my witness, just run in the other direction as fast as you can. I can't even believe that person is out there still. Why haven't they been arrested? I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, the stuff that goes on, it's just, there have been people who have been serial directors who have left burned ruins behind them and in one case, in one case, I was working with their previous library board uh-huh. and the new library board in another state had called me and said, could you come in and do some 
executive coaching with this person. And I'm like, this is not an executive coaching issue. Did you ever call references? If you had called anybody in Colorado, they would have told you. So I'm working with their old board. And they said, oh, my goodness, have you been hearing what's been going on? And I looked at them and I said, I actually said to the board, I said, why didn't you say something? And someone said, they never asked. We were, they, they didn't want to know, you know. And one time, I mean, this is like high school. One time I heard the announcement of somebody getting a director job. And I went, oh, my goodness. So I emailed a friend in library land. <laughs> you did and I that. said, you'll never believe so-and-so got the director job at this. And he's in the middle of a meeting. He told me this later. He's in the middle of the meeting, glanced at his cell phone and went, motherfuck. Right suits and stuff like that and i'm thinking if they had just made one phone call to any random person in colorado they would have said you should not hire this person and we'll give you details and one of those board members one of those sweet and this was like i'm talking about two different incidents one of those these very sweet board members i asked i said would you have felt limited by mm -hmm. privacy laws and stuff would you have been worried about lawsuits and everything? And this sweet little old lady went, oh, the hell with lawsuits. I would have told them if they had. <laughs> so it's kind of like this weird collusion among people about not being, I'm not talking about being vicious or mean, but not just simply stating things that this person really isn't suitable for this particular position. Pat, would I hire them again? No. No. You know, anyway. Pat. Anyway. That is yes. perfect. That is absolutely exactly. <laughs> oh, what I'm we not want. that was between you and me, Morris. No, 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 no. But you, that style, that yeah. style is perfect. Please feel okay, free to sanitize ahead. that story. Cause that so that what I and I would then spin it as so Pat, really, this is imp any important thing about training, teaching, learning is all about creating a network and having right. a network that you can ping in order to because a lot of places are afraid of lawsuits. I know. You know, you, you really only say that, yes, the person worked there for five days. You can't say, wow, they were a director only worked there for five days. Hmm. I know. Or, or, or a director only worked there for a year. Hmm. Well, I talk to people about how to, you know, we want to protect people, but a lot of the protections that we put in also keep good communication from happening. And mm -hmm. I'll even... I mean, and I, you know, before we had the, op, uh, before we had pattern researcher in the early days, for 25 years, my husband, Leif Smith, and I ran uh, a national information service called the Office for Open Network, or Open Network for short. And mm -hmm. we worked, one of our client bases were private detectives and business private detectives. So mm. we would partner with them because a client, and it was the whole range of people and projects and things, would come to us and we would say, okay, we will... Um, help you do kind of an investigation. And in one case, we had a client who was looking for money and he had, I'll just say it, a really crappy proposal. My husband's trained as an economist and he mm -hmm. works, we worked a lot with startup businesses and the, um, the uh, business plan was a mess. I mean, it was a total mess. And, and we said, we're not going to be able to help you. We can help you rewrite it. But the core <laughs> business idea 
isn't very good. So this client went away really angry and called me a couple of months later. And he said, I just have to tell you off, Pat, because I found an investor. And I said, really? And then they said, and it's only going to cost me $5,000. Whoa. Yeah. And I'm like, every, and I said, no, that's not how it that's works. That's not an investment. Uh, and I said, let me do you a favor. Give me the information about this person and let me do a little due diligence. Mm -hmm. And and I said, I'm just doing it to protect you and everything. And I have a friend who's a private investigator who owes me a favor. And so, you know, so I called up um, Brian, who is our friend, and I told him the story. He said, God, that sounds suspicious. He said, I'll do it for free. And he drove out. He, you hear these stories, but he drove out to the address on the business card and it was an empty lot in wow like in the middle of nowhere like wow Denver far enough and it's just wheat fields and it was like it wasn't even a wheat field and so he 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 um called me back he said it's a wheat field and i went gotcha so i called the white crime division of the district attorney's office mm -hmm. in denver county and told them the thing they said oh we know that woman she hits town every four or five years she tells people a story and she's very well dressed and personable she collects the money and leaves town and no one will file charges because they're embarrassed right wow. so i called my client back and told him what we found and he was really angry at me and this has happened more than once maurice then they get angry at us and say, well, you don't appreciate and everything like that. And I said, I'm just trying to warn you. Did you give her the 5,000? He said, yes. And she's wonderful. And she's going to do this. And she thought I was wonderful and marvelous and everything. And then he called back a week later, really puzzled. and went, it was really strange. I tried to call her and all the phones have been disconnected and everything. And I said, well, what you can do is call this number, ask for this person at the White Crime Division. Super nice guy. He'll be really nice. If you could give him as many details as possible, it would really help. And I don't know if he ever did or not. But what's interesting is the level of denial. And then when you're able to present evidence that the person is a crook, they blow up. So over the years with these attorneys and investigators and everything, we've learned that if you are trying to find out about someone, you just start talking to anyone. And I will ask people, have you ever talked to anybody who's worked at that library right. under that particular person? Right, right? right. That's why I think LinkedIn is such a great tool. And we've used it to say, you've worked at that, you've worked for that person or you've worked for that particular library or university. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And most people will speak very freely. Some places, of course, they're really locked down. And just today I was doing um, a national webinar for the Library Works people. And one of the questions that came in was about um, non-disclosure agreements. And I said, you know, this is why God invented personal personnel attorneys. What you need to do is talk to a personnel attorney in your state or province who can tell you what the legalities are right. before you sign absolutely anything like that you know um anyway yes so but i think too that i mean those are the fun stuff but i thought when, when paul and i first started talking about this he was interested in some of the ideas about um training and um 
some of the I don't know what I, I would even call them. Some of these 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 are the things I say over and over again to audiences mm -hmm. about issues and stuff like that. Is is that something that interests whatever you? whatever foot hat whatever yeah. what you just did is perfect. Literally telling okay. that that story that type of stuff. And again, we can bring every because everything is involved somewhere between training, teaching, and learning. Again, okay. ha, it's pulling that network. So having it's you know developing those networks we we talk we talk about a lot in the show how important yeah. it is to have a professional network no matter what you yes. do especially as trainers that's part of the reason why the show started is i wanted to rec recreate what happened at conferences mm -hmm. i was around my tribe and i wanted a way to not necessarily spend a thousand two thousand bucks to fly somewhere and sit in a, a, a very terrible hampton inn or whatever and mm -hmm sit on a floor of a conference center and drink a lot and meet with my friends. I wanted to be able to do that for relatively for inexpensively. So, well, what you've done has been such a service for so many years. Oh, right? thank so you, many Pat. years. Thank it's you. Just pretty wonderful. Um, one other thing I'd mentioned this to Paul, um, after we're done and it's recorded, I don't know what the system is because it's been so long since I've, mm -hmm. I've um, logged into one of the things. And so, would you want me through my own network to promote it? Oh, sure. So what will happen is okay. Jill will create a post that'll have, a, you can just link right to the post. Jill will do a great, uh, take a minute if you can between now and next week. Okay. Go take a look at the TSA training blog and you'll see what I mean about the, what she does. She, okay. really, she pictures all sorts of stuff. She'll talk a little bit about what it was. She'll say, here's a link to talk shoe to get the thing, mm -hmm. et cetera. So yes, please feel free to blow it up on your networks. Uh, I would be very happy to. to. Thank well, you, you know, it's, it's sort of a fun thing. It's a little, it's a little bittersweet and it feels a little weird, but it's kind of like, like being on, you know, your, this you is know, your life. farewell tour this is your life. kind of thing. <laughs> and so, almost every time I do something, it's for the last time. Like oh. right now I'm in the middle of doing a um, supervision course with with uh, Christine Krager for the Colorado State Library. Mm -hmm. She and I have worked on this course. This is the seventh year we're producing it. And I realized in two weeks, I will never work with Christine again. And I've worked with her for 20 years. Oh. Or when I, um, last year it was last time in Ohio, last time in Indiana, right. last time in New Jersey. I just did my last program for a New Jersey client. And some of these folks like you know, cause you've been around for a while. Mm -hmm. I've worked with for 25 years. They're your so friends. Yeah, they're, they're we're, not just friends. We, we, we break bread. We yep. I've been at people's houses for Thanksgiving and vice versa. Yep. And so it's a little it's a little bittersweet that way as well. Um, so this is kind of nice because it's nice to sort of hear some things to share. And mm -hmm. I was so pleased when the people at Library Works we put together a program where I'm doing. Four, I think it's 12 or 14 webinars this year for them. Mm -hmm. And we picked favorites. We picked one. Oh, there you go. Everybody likes and stuff like today. I did one on um, bully proofing your library and I'm uh -huh. doing one on leadership for the folks down in Florida at the Neflin system nice. in a few days. But it's um, so it's it's really kind of kind of stepping back. I'm just just entangling myself from a lot of things, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so it's again, there's a little nostalgia and a little bittersweet, but my new life is something I'm really looking forward to. So I'm and, we can, and we can talk. What, so what are you doing? Well, um, this will be a story I can tell. Um, 
since I was a little kid, the most important thing in my life has always been writing. Mm -hmm. And I was a performance poet and a published poet, writer, playwright, short stories. Um, and I was this, you know, hippie libertarian anarchist with, you know, three part-time jobs <laughs> and um, doing my poetry reading. And there was such a rich small theater and poetry scene in Denver at the time. And then previous years I was in Wisconsin and in college in Vermont doing things that I could do six or seven performances a week. I know, I know. That's that's how many little theaters and programs they were. So I was on stage as a performance poet, selling my small press books, just completely immersed in that world. And then in 1980, for various reasons, I had met my husband. We fell in love. We weren't married yet. And I had to make a choice, and I didn't want to be a mediocre poet. So I closed it all down in 1980. And it wasn't even my a passion. It was my life. And I closed it all down to, to kind of grow up and focus on my work as a, um, for the business. Mm -hmm. and then, and I'm not exaggerating, I didn't write, I think I wrote one or two poems, didn't write again for 35 years. Now, I wrote a great deal. I mean, I wrote webinars and I wrote manuals and right. I wrote training things and I wrote articles and editorials and all sorts of stuff. But as far as my personal stuff, right. you know, creative stuff, nothing. And then I started writing again maybe about seven years ago. Uh -huh. My husband my husband said, and I may repeat this in the program, he said it was like I was missing a vitamin. And I found the vitamin because it was like a transformation. And people who knew me well, my clients, they say, what's going on? It's like, it's like you fell in love, but we know that you have this wonderful husband you've been with for decades. But it's like, <laughs> there's something different. There's something different. And oh, Pat, that's and, wonderful. And I had, you know, I'm 71. So there was all this thought of, I, I never planned to retire all these things I wanted to do. And so the two things I was thinking about, if you call it retirement, was to have a bookstore because I've had a bookstore, managed a bookstore in the mm -hmm. past and doing that. Or um, the other thing was do, we, we do, we're not rich people, but we do a lot of modest philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And we both grew up in philanthropic homes. Both of our parents um, my husband and myself did a lot of philanthropy and it's, I tell people philanthropy and charitable work is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. Mm -hmm. and, but when it came time and it was about a year ago when it looked like we could afford for us not to have to work and everything, mm -hmm. it's like, no, I want to, I want to go back to who I was. What's, what's my core thing more than anything to write and to research and to do some, you might say, political work and things, because I've kept my personal politics and philosophy very far away from anything I did in library land. So, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be identified by, you know, right. by, you know, political philosophy or anything like that. And I keep, I still keep that under wraps until I'm through, because I don't want it to taint. Absolutely, any work I do absolutely, with anybody. absolutely. But it'll be that. And then coming from an immigrant Jewish family, you almost have a moral obligation to do genealogy. And so working on both sides of the family, and I have uh, cousins on both sides who are a generation, are my generation and a, and a generation below who 
we've all been to kind of doing genealogy for years and more stuff is opening up from Eastern Europe. I'm my family nice. is from Romania and Belarus and Romania. Right. Um, and so both sides of the family are working on that. But the main thing is reading and writing. And I love the research that goes with writing. And a lot of what I write, my, my favorite things besides poetry, um, I love to write fantasy fiction. I've written a novel. Pat, I that is wonderful. And that's where I'm going to be. So people who oh my me, goodness, people who've known me before 1980, you know, like my poetry friends, my old poetry partner, Chocolate Waters, who's like still like a famous person in New York. Um, those people knew me from that time. And when my husband and I were first dating, he would come to all my poetry readings. So he knew me when I was that, you know, mm -hmm. poor poet doing stuff. That's where I learned my performance skills. Uh, you know, <laughs> just like years of being in front of audiences and such. So that's what's going to happen. That's what I'm returning to is just, and I have no interest in performing. I have no interest in publishing anymore. I have a couple of writing groups I'm involved with where I publish online anonymously, and mm -hmm. I love it and get comments on my writing, pro and con, and that's what I plan to do. Pat, that is wonderful. You're able to have, to, to, you're able to circle back to what you did before mm -hmm. and truly really refine, refine your, you found it's, you have found the fountain of youth. You found, you, you found a fountain of youth and you can apply all of your, I'm sure you can apply some of the skills you developed over the years to that. And do you think you're, do you think you are a better or you, I'm sure you're different because you have way more life experience. Do you find that you're, are you a better poet now, or do you find yourself a different poet? Now? Well, that's a good, that's a very serious, good question because starting about a year ago, I started going through boxes of stuff. So again, I have stuff that goes back 60 years mm -hmm. 60, that's right 60 years and i started looking at my work particularly starting after 1968 and looking through the boxes and i a lot of this is either manual typewriter or handwritten mm -hmm. so i found um a guy in our neighborhood who is a computer guy and he's like a real high tech you know real high tech guy but for him typing is like is like knitting. It's like um, a comfort thing for him. And so we've made a deal and he's been transcribing all of my works wow. and creating digital copies. So I've been going through, you know, several hundred pages of stuff. And sometimes I look at something and I thought, damn, that's good, Maurice. That's really good. Okay. And sometimes I look and so Oh my God. God. You know, the Yiddish phrase is me is mirror. What was I thinking? Um, <laughs> it's, it's time to burn it. I don't care how old it is. It's time to burn that. No one needs to see that's ever happened. You know, and sometimes poetry, I mean, there's a kind of writing that's like, you know, that whole thing about math and physics geniuses make all their breakthroughs under the age of 25, then they don't do anything for 50 years. Mm -hmm. It's for some poets, that's what it's like. They're, they're wunderkind who do an incredible thing under the age of 30. But then there's a whole other kind of poet who just sort of matures. And um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have different influences now. Mm -hmm. But I think 
the main thing is that I will be more concerned with the craft. Um, one of the big influences <laughs> I had was a school of poetry called the Objectivist School. Uh, the main proponent was a gentleman named Charles Olson. Mm -hmm. And it was very much about a naturalistic style of poetry that had a lot to do with um, meter and line being equal to heartbeat and breath. And okay. it's the kind of thing that when you read it out loud, it sounds incredibly natural. There's just a beautiful rhythm to it. And the uh, another school of poetry that influenced me a lot was ethnopoetics. But a lot of my influences are poets from the 1930s and 40s and 50s. Uh, you know, people like, uh, goodness, like May Sarton and Stephen Vincent Binet and William Butler Yeats. So mm -hmm. one of the things I'm going to be doing is I've been buying up and collecting the last year, kind of refurbishing my library with books on poetry, classical literature. Um, I mean, when I say classical literature, I'm saying like going back 2000 years or so, right. kind of to immerse myself in kind of back into my liberal arts foundation. Okay. I, um, I was very uh, influenced by mythology and people who and the storytelling and mm -hmm. in my works in my short stories that I've been writing the last few years and, and people comment on it I like the old style mystery writers or the kind of mystery writers who do create a whole world with a lot mm -hmm. of detail mm -hmm. so I write a lot of detail a lot of physical detail in my stories and my my favorite example is I had a fantasy character and he was wearing a black leather coat and somewhere in my brain I remembered something about a kind of leather tanning that was done in Russia in the 19th century using birch bark and birch oil and they had a secret formula that nobody else in the world had and I spent probably two hours researching about how they used birch to tan leather. And that two hours was one sentence in my story, you know? Wow. And I love doing the research almost as much as I love doing the writing about things. So I can just lose myself for hours and hours. And by the way, the reason I return to writing is I was in a period of time when my life really, really sucked. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I was sit in my, I had to, my, my um, I became the guardian of my mother who was in the early stages, mid stages of dementia. Oh boy. And, and I have an older sister who's schizophrenic and I mean, just everything was going wrong. Right. And I was sitting in this little crappy motel in Racine, Wisconsin, and it was cold winter and I didn't know what to do. And I started reading and writing again. And it was wonderful because I could lose myself all day in between visits with lawyers and banks and mm -hmm. the nursing home and social workers and not think about any of that you know? nice and that was that was sort of it was great it was great so yeah that's wow and, I, and the, the inspiration all came because um i have a cousin on my mother's side which is the canadian side who in her day, and she would be a generation older than me, um, her name's Miriam Waddington, and she was a very famous um, Canadian poet and writer, and famous enough that a few years ago, 
one of her poems was on the Canadian hundred dollar bill. Whoa! So she was like, "That's pretty famous." Know, yeah, that's that. I, I think that's pretty famous. Pretty famous. When you make, and when I, you actually make the face of money, you're famous. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And I thought it was very cool that Canada was doing that, putting poems on their, you know, their money. Wow. And very famous. But anyway, so I was about five. And I always liked to write. I was like a very smart little girl. But I can't remember how old I was. I was five or six or seven. And we were going to Canada to see relatives with my mom and my grandma and, and such. And my mom says, we're going to go meet your Canadian cousin, sweetheart, and you're going to get to meet cousin Miriam. And cousin Miriam and I grew up together and were very close when we were growing up. And she, by the way, she's a very famous poet and writer. And something happened in my brain. It was sort of like, I want to be a poet like like cousin Miriam. And I guess my mom said something to her. So Miriam would send me books. Nice. And when she got her first collection done by the Oxford Press, she sent me a copy. And that was my love. As much as I love the time I've spent in library land and and serving the library community as best I could, and I still am very committed to doing this this year. I'm not a slacker. Yeah. I don't think, Pat, I don't think anyone will call you a slacker. Well, you know, I, I've... This is another thing, Maurice. I have seen, and I bet you have too, seen people who either stayed too long or kind of rested on their laurels. Right. You know, like, and this is this, I won't say who. I'm betting you know the person I'm talking to. I won't say who. This is fairly, was never a um, ALA president, but I don't know why they weren't, but they could have been. Anyway, this person showed up and she and I were both speaking as keynotes for one of the ALA divisions and she showed up and her handouts and she bragged about this at the podium. I can't believe it. Her handout was based on her doctoral thesis that she had published uh, 25 years before. And the materials were cheap copies of reproductions of some of that work she had done 25 years ago. She just, I mean, yeah, she just sort of handed it out and it was ugly and crappy and it looked like, you know, it was, it looked like bad mimeographing or something. And, and so her information was dated. I just, and I thought, my goodness woman, you know, and I was, and she, she was very, um, cold and demeaning because i'm nobody i have no credentials for doing what i'm doing uh and she was she was not she was not polite and it wasn't just me other people commented Mm -hmm. the person who brought me in commented and actually apologized to me said apology she's a little eccentric i said i don't care you know i she's an ass i'm not gonna worry about that she's an ass Um, i don't care she's eccentric she's an ass yeah you know i'm i junior high school was junior high school i to do it and then then i did my piece uh-huh. She did her piece. I did my piece. And my little piece of triumph, and I'll be very petty about this, at the end of the program, she and I both came down from the um, platform so we could talk to people. She had maybe three or four people waiting to talk to her. I had like 20. <laughs> but she, uh... and, and what was, in, and then it was very embarrassing for her because, you know, Nancy Bolt. 
our, our uh, former state librarian um, in Colorado, and she has these big jewelry shows she does to raise money okay. for, yes, international, yes, for, for yes, yes. international libraries. Yes. Nancy and I are buddies. Anyway, so then right after that, my husband and I went off to Nancy's hotel room to look at her jewelry and everything. And um, so we're, we're doing stuff, and I, I kind of looked over, and I saw this woman come in. I went, I'm just going to, you know go away and nancy grabs me drags me over to this woman and said oh buddy, do you know my good friend Kat Wagner? we're so proud of you in colorado and the woman kind of looked at me and i was like no i guess so i had my my little petty on this there are people who will not hire me because i'm not a librarian and i don't have an whatever yeah, whatever and that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> You know, that, that and I lost contract. That's okay. Whatever. So. You know, that, 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 that's uh, mm -hmm. uh, up until uh, if, if you go on to the, if you, when you read the, the show blog, you will see the show we just did. And two shows ago, we talked about my just getting my bachelor's degree. So mm -hmm. I, in, I got my bachelor's degree in December. So I've not, I've had the same thing. Yeah. Like, I've been doing, I've literally been training about the internet since the internet started. Okay, we'll say the internet had a three-year head start. I'd say uh -huh. 93. So uh -huh. a three-year head start. Right. I've been training literally since the internet began. The, oh, I'm sorry, the public internet, not sure. the ARPANET and all. And, well, you don't, you don't have a degree. It's like, well, how do you know what you're talking about? It's like, well, shit. I've literally been doing this since the internet I was born. I was there. I know. I if you say Lycos, I go. I know what Lycos was. Or if you say Gopher, I know what Gopher was. So right, right. You know, the only reason that I have a college degree is my God bless my Jewish mother. She called me up, and I was twenty seven years old, living the happy, you know, bohemian life, mm -hmm. and I had dropped out of college six times. Not um, very good for you. You know, my husband only dropped out of college three times, but he dropped out of much better colleges than I did. And my mother said to me, sweetheart, your father is dying. And his last wish is that his baby girl get her degree. Because all the women in my family on both sides are very, how would you say, very accomplished, extremely uh -huh. accomplished women. And... Um, I said to her, Mom, that may be the most outrageous lie you have ever told. Dad's been dying for like 20 years. Give me a break. And I said, if it's that important for you, for you to tell such an outrageous lie, then I will oh, bravo. get my degree. My husband oh. never got his degree. And he's, I mean, we all brag about the people we love. He's quite brilliant and accomplished. And I laugh about the fact once in a while, it used to be someone would call up um, and he, part of his specialty is consulting with and for the um, inventor CEO. So he works with the CEO of startup high tech companies mm -hmm. and the guys are geniuses. Uh, but they they really kind of need someone to go there there. My my husband doesn't do the econometric stuff, but he writes, he reads, he does research for them, asks hard questions, and so on. Anyway, so one time, sometimes a guy will call up, and they'll say, "We just think your husband's fantastic. We would like to put him on our board. Could you send us a Vita?" And I'll go, "Okay." He was a janitor. Uh, he was a cab driver. 
that lasted, I think, a month. He was a, as I mentioned he was a janitor, and then um, he wrote code back in 1963 in New York, uh, you know, and I'll sort of stumble through, and I said he's been a self-employed, basically, philosopher, entrepreneur most of his life. And there would be two kinds of people. One kind said, well, I thought he had his PhD in economics and philosophy. And I said, no. Um, yeah, he, he has that level of experience and he's, he's got the scholar's mind. And they go, oh, never mind and hang up. But other people say, oh, we don't care about that crap. Just make something up. We want him on the <laughs> just, board. You know, just, and just, take, just put something on a piece of paper. Yeah, figure, figure out something that sounds plausible. So we've like put oh. stuff together that sounds more plausible. So that when a client of his, who's because he's on like you know on a, a you know like he's on a on a like an advisory board or something, they can say who who's this guy Leif Smith and who he is. Um, but it's pretty funny. And oh, this was this was sad and funny. A couple of years ago, my um, husband. Um, stepmother, my mother-in-law passed away. She was 94. Mm -hmm. And so we found out at the funeral that my husband was the um, executor of the estate. She had never told him. Oh, So a little eccentric there. So we're spending a lot of time down in La Vida, Colorado, which is 180 miles south of Denver, right at mm -hmm. the, you know, and, right the border. Um, talking to people. And we were at this like little gathering of her closest women friends who were all in their 60s and 70s, early 80s and their 40s, and just a group of nice ladies and her best friend who was a real estate agent. And they were doing, and at one point, Karen, the real estate lady looked over and said, you know, Francis never was clear. Where did you two get your PhDs? And Leif and I looked at each other. I said, um, I have a bachelor's in liberal arts and Leif does not have a college degree. And she said, but but Francis always said you had PhDs. And I said, that's very nice, but we have never presented ourselves as having any, I mean, we, we never pretend or act like we have any of those credentials and so on. And she said, oh my. And, and fortunately, <laughs> this lady was like, it's the biggest, is the biggest gossip in Wherefordow County. And so we were like, um, it probably doesn't come up in conversation a lot, but if it does come up in conversation, could you sort of set the record state that neither Leif or I have we PhDs? Can. And just to, just to be honest about it. Right. So that was pretty funny, and I still to this day have no idea what my my mother in law was telling people. But obviously, sort of funny. she loved both of you so much that in mm -hmm. her eyes, you were both PhDs. You were both I, doc. You were Doctor Wagner. I know, I know, which was very. Pat, as usual, I can listen to you talk and hear uh -huh. you tell stories for hours. Okay, and but you're if happy. We do this, if we do this, is perfect. Uh, okay. This is beyond perfect. Uh, I am. Okay. It, it, this is perfect, and we work like we work light blue. So you can say the occasional shit, piss, damn. Okay. Occasional fuck this, but that's about it. You know, we don't. Do, I'm we very don't quite do. Yeah, I. If, you know, I was in radio. We don't do that. Yes, in radio, exactly, so exactly. I'm careful about what I say, but thank you. Yep, for you and me, we can have a little fun. Yes, and yep. I, was, I felt like I needed to audition for you. So oh, this please. Was me auditioning Pat, for you. Come you on, not, really. Do you not remember our talk with you, Leif, and I after the uh, in Chicago? Uh -huh. I finally remember sitting with you and like, ah, we're too much alike. You said at the end, it's like, oh, crap. Right. We're, we're too much alike. Why am I going to work right. with you? It's like working with myself. 
and we had the hours of talking and getting to know each other. And that's right. exactly what I want from this. Great. I'm so thankful you said yes. Mm-hmm. And I know you, we will probably have you back for at least a part two because you okay. have a bajillion different stories. I want to, your travel stuff is funny. When you talk about your, your various travels and your, oh, your stories of driving through 8,000, it's like, Pat, how many stores have you tri- you've driven through? I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 at lost count? I have driven through every, I have driven through all of the lower 48 and DC. And I've been to all 50 states and DC and Puerto Rico, a couple provinces of Canada. And I've driven through every major city at rush hour. That's I should insane. get like a badge. You should. You should. <laughs> badge, Actually, you, know? you need a crown. You need right. a crown and, and, a, and, a, and a callus in your hand for honking the horn. Get out of that. my way! Well, my my one of in my top three was getting lost on my way from Connecticut to New Jersey, taking the wrong exit off and ending up in Manhattan Friday afternoon, five o'clock in rush hour, having to drive from east to west to get to New Jersey. And um, but I grew up in the I'm I'm a pushy Jewish broad from the south side of Chicago, and my ma drove an ambulance for the Red Cross and taught me the philosophy of driving. And I'm in a rental car with coverage. I don't care. So I was just like I was just like I was just heading east, trying to figure out where the hell it was before cell phones. So I didn't have a way of I didn't have GPS or anything, just maps, paper maps on my lap. And then I would just wink and grin, and wave at the cab drivers. Because it was like I don't care. I don't care if you bump up the car; it's covered. You know, I take out the coverage. Do what you want. And when I got to, when I finally got to my motel in New Jersey, I called my mom and thanked her. Thank you for teaching me. South Shire, Chicago, is very is very very much New York. So that's it's you know it it, it, it's it's you're dropping. Look, there's is slightly different food. Actually, no, slightly different food. And our pizza's better. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) On that note, my friend. As long as you don't. Okay, I understand. I'm very open-minded and liberal about things. Um, (laughs) As long as you don't eat your hot dog with ketchup, we're friends. But, um, and I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up, Maurice. Um, I'm from a secular Jewish family, but I knew we were a Chicago Cubs family before I knew we were Jewish. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Wait on. You were a South Sider and you were, you were. I know, I know, I know, but I know. Oh, and uh, our family was kind of split. So much of our family was on the north side in what you might call the traditional Jewish neighborhoods, like a, a Rogers Park. But um, we lived, I grew up in Hyde Park around the University of Chicago mm-hmm. and then farther south to South Shore. But we were always Cubs fan. And we had, a, we just had our, a few years ago, we had our 50th high school reunion. And I would say, even though we were, you know, 8,300 South, most of the kids in the class were were Cubs fans, wow. fanatic Cubs fans. That's weird. And, but there was, but the white, white side, and part of it, it was sort of an immigrant experience because a lot of our family were from the north and west side in the immigrant okay. uh, neighborhoods. And then as they got more prosperous, they might have moved into, you know, up to Skokie, for example, right. um, or down to Hyde Park, 
Okay. Um, as okay. well. And so when people would tease me about being a Cubs fan, it's I said, they said, how can you be so loyal to the losers? And I said, it's not about baseball. It's about family. There you go. Because it was a real bonding experience for it's part of your family history. That's right. Exactly. Pat, exactly. thank you very much. Look, I, My pleasure. I, I am assuming, and this, because this actually recorded, mm -hmm. at some point, I, I will send you the link so you can listen to the, how wonderful this was. And this is exactly the tone I want for next week. And Terrific. probably two or three times you'll be on. So thank you so much. I bid you, uh, my, my, my best to your husband. And thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Pat. Right. Take care. It's always good seeing you. I, I, I you. miss seeing you at conference. I miss running into you at stuff. Yep. You know? Well, All right, my friend. You. Take it easy. All right. and we'll see you in a week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.